0: This morning in that precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and I think yeah as we sing that song and you think about the words I think it should be our prayer every day and every day all day might be a better way to say it I'm not sure but yeah it's good to be here this morning and good to see each one here and so I greet you all in Christ's name and um, so think about what to share this morning and I wasn't sure where to go or what to share and i thought God spoke to me pretty clearly over last weekend already, and I was like, well, I'm not sure. I kind of shared maybe part of this earlier already, but I did go ahead and agree to share it. So uh, the title of the message, if you'll give it a message, will be agreeing or coming in alignment with what God asks and what he wants. Um I know sometimes when we, yeah, we sat sitting there in Sunday school this morning, I think we pretty much covered the, I could probably sit down and wouldn't have to share, but you guys weren't in me in Sunday school class, so we'll try to share a little bit of it. Uh, It kind of all geared toward that way, I think that when God speaks and what he says and where are we at, uh, Merlin had a little time of sharing before we got into the Sunday school time, which I thought was great, where people just opened up and yeah, it kind of revolved around, are we listening to God and are we doing what he wants us to do? But as I think about agreeing and coming in alignment with um, what God says and asks and wants, that would be the three things that I think, um, and it was pointed out, yeah, I was thinking about in my own life, how often do I do that, or where, where am I at and all that, when God speaks and when he asks me to do something, what do I do? And I was thinking about what is what does agree mean, or what does alignment mean? And agree is the definition of agree is to have the same opinion about something, and alignment is arranged in a straight line or in a correct or appropriate relative position. Like, um, and I don't think that's not. Yeah, we all know what those two things mean. I think. But as I'm thinking about this morning about when we, when God speaks and when He says something, when when He asks something of us, what do we do with it? What what do we, do we agree with him? Do we, do we bow with him? You can open your Bibles to Luke 1. I know it's uh, we're talking about Jesus' death this coming week, and yeah, that's kind of focused around this, but this is actually kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Um, but I think this is where I want to start, and there's a few other scriptures that I want to go into. Uh, as, as we're thinking about agreeing with God and what he asks, I'm going to start reading in verse 26. This is not an unfamiliar story. This is something we hear in December about every year, about how a woman um, was was uh, became pregnant with, with a child. I want to start reading verse 26. We'll read down to verse 38. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin and spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, and of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came into her and said, Hell, thou art, great, thou art highly favored, and the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and she cast in her mind what matter of solution this to be. And, and I think you might, you might wonder a little bit, like what was Mary thinking when this all of a sudden the angel of the Lord appeared to her, and he, and he told her that and it says here that she was, she was troubled. Uh, and I think yeah, the, the couple other versions would use the word perplexed there, was troubled at his sayings and cast in her mind what manner of solution this should be. And the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and they shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, and he shall be great and he shall be called, the son of the highest and the lord god shall give unto him the throne of his father david and he shall reign over the house of jacob forever and his kingdom shall there in his kingdom there shall be no end then said mary unto the angel how shall this be seeing that i am not seeing i know not a man the angel answered and she said unto her the holy ghost shall come unto thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she had also she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing is impossible. And I want to read verse 38 after we get done talking about up here a little bit further. Uh, this angel came to Mary, and Mary is a woman that's that's engaged or betrothed. I'm not sure exactly if I understand everything that went on in the Jewish culture uh, when they were getting ready to get married. But anyway, it would have been into a setting sort of like we would say engagement. We would think of, of people that are set to get married. Jewel, all right, we're using her as an example. I think she's fine with that. But her and Kirk are planning on getting married here in two months, three months, something like that. They are engaged. They've they've come to an agreement that they are going to marry one another. And I think that was the case here for Mary and Joseph. There was an agreement with one another they were going to get married, that she was betrothed to him. That was going to be her husband. And here comes this angel and sits down to her and she says that, Mary, you're highly favored and you're you're going to, God wants to, uh, God wants to put a child within you. And she's like, well, how's this going to be? Like, i have not, she was a virgin. She, she, she never slept with a man before. She never, she didn't know her husband. She knew who he was, but knowing means having intimacy with him where children, where there's a chance for children to be born. That hasn't happened. She said, how's this going to be? And can you all imagine, like, think with me for a minute, especially you like young girls can probably imagine more so, or even women, then us as men, we have a t- we have a little bit of hard time uh, wrapping our mind around that. But you women can 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 visualize that way better than us. Think about yourself. You're about to get married to your husband. You're not married yet, <clears throat> and you're a virgin. And all of a sudden, here comes this angel down and says, "God has you highly favored, and He's going to put a child within you." How would you react to that? What would you say to that? What would you? What would your thoughts be? What would your you know, sometimes we read these stories and we're thinking, well, that was Mary. She was some special lady and she was some above-everybody-else type lady. I don't think she was. I think she was a woman, just like you would find sitting here in this audience. It was a normal woman. Yeah, God had her highly favored. She was picked out to do this job. I would agree that she wasn't it was a certain lady, but she wasn't She wasn't above normal. And I think, yeah, probably God in in uh, instilled in her a a spirit, never a spirit that she was within with was, was able to stand it because it said the Holy Spirit uh, came with where did I read that at? Anyway, I think it says something about that the Holy Spirit came up, came, came upon her or came within her, something to that nature. Yeah, in verse 35 the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power, like Kevin showed this morning that was not present among people. This was some special occasion. So I think God set that up for her, but yeah, think about for a minute, and in that culture I do know, like women that were pregnant without being married were stoned. They were killed. They were not, it was not an option for them to be, you know, here in America, that's not an abnormal thing. You see that regularly. It's sin. It's not right. We would agree with that. Okay, so how would I, how would you and I have viewed that today? If there's some lady here, and she she. hears from God and all of a sudden she turns up pregnant and she's not married she's only engaged can you imagine the rumor mill that might be going on right now it would be crazy and I'm just thinking about in my mind like Mary you know what was she thinking what went through her mind and I don't know the Bible doesn't say if this took a while for for the angel or how long when he was just there if this was just a short time but I want to read verse 38 and see what it says (coughs) Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed her. Mary said, Yes. You said it, I bow down to it. Bring it on. I'm yours. I want to live for you. There was an agreement made there. Mary said, Yes. Even though in her mind, I'm sure it looked like, What in the world is this thing going to look like? Where is this going to go? What are people going to think? You know, just all sorts. And, you know, you, women are way more that way than men. We can kind of put things and push it around. It's not a big deal. But they're all squirrely about everything. Nothing against you, but that's just how your nature. That's, that's women. That's, they're more emotional. They're more detective. But that's, that's kind of how. So can you imagine for just a bit? But Mary says, behold, I am the servant, the handmaid. And a, lot, a lot of other versions would say the servant of the Lord Be it done according to your word. You speak it, I bow down to it. How are you and I this morning? Do we come in agreement with God in that way when he asks us to do something or when he says something or when he brings something our way? Yes, Lord. Or is there a, uh -uh. what about this and that over there and her and she and him and John and Joe and Joe and what's what's this all going to look like? You know, for Mary, she could have brought all those things and said, you know, you, you don't understand how, you know, I'm going to be killed or I'm going to be looked at funny. And what's my husband going to say? You know, he's engaged to me to be married to me, and if I go to tell him that I'm pregnant, that's not going to be a pretty sight. You know, can you ima- just think with me a little bit in in real life? But Mary says, "Yes, Lord, I'll do that." Does God? I guess the point that I want to make in that, and I want to go to another scripture in Genesis twenty-two. You can be on the way over there while I'm talking about this. But um, there's the when, when, I guess the point I want to make is when God asks you to do something, even if it looks, even if it looks like it just doesn't fit. It's not my thing. Are you are you engaged with Him enough? Do you love Him enough? Is He your Lord? And when I, I think that's another word that we need to understand what that means. It means to have supreme authority over it. it means to have dominion, control. That is who God is to you. When, when, when he asks you, are we so under him and so in love with him that even though it looks, we don't have no clue what the end looks like. We don't know what this picture looks like. We don't know what it's going to bring. But we say, yes, Lord, because he is God, and I am submitted to him whatever he asks. I'm there. If Mary was not that lady in this setting, where would we be? Yeah, God could have picked another lady who was still going to bring a Savior. But he put this all in place. But I think it's, it's, it's something that we can think about as his children. Are we agreeing? Do we agree with what God says? Do we align with his will? You know, Mary, there was, there was something that God had set in place. And Mary brought herself over and put herself in alignment with that and said, yes, I'll do that. What if she would have not had that? she she, she said, No, I'm not I'm not gonna go over there. All of a sudden there's this there's this bump in the road. And it doesn't align with what God wants us to do. And that's exactly what happens for us when we hesitate or when we when we want to, you know. Sometimes when God says something, Lord, I want confirmation. I want more confirmation. A little bit more. I, I just this doesn't seem right. A little bit more. What if Mary would have done that? I don't think she did. It doesn't record that. It said the angel of the Lord come come to her and showed her and told her all these things And Mary said. Yes. I agree with that. I come in alignment with that. I will do that. Even though she didn't know what the end looked like, I don't think she had any idea what, what was all going to be entailed in this thing. Genesis 22 is another account that gives us a very good illustration of this. I want to read verses 1 through 18. This is a story, another story where most people are very familiar with and probably all of you and it came to pass in these days <clears throat> that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him Abraham and he said behold here I am and I'd like to make a stop right there. I think King James maybe messes up on this word tempt. I think back if you go back in the uh, it's about James or somewhere it says God never tempts nobody. It should be tested and if you look at the new King James version they actually changed it in there to tested so it says God did tempt Abraham. I don't think God tempted him. God tested him. This was something that he brought in his life to see what are you going to do with this. It's not a temptation. Um, it doesn't really matter, but this—that just when I was reading that, it stuck out to me. It's like, well, God doesn't tempt people, so how does this work? But if you would do a little bit of searching, I think it'll, it actually means tested. God did test Abraham, and he said unto him, Abraham. And he said, behold, here I am. Abraham right away. Yes, Lord, I'm here. He said, take now thy son, thy only son, Isaac. And remember how long they've been waiting on Isaac. They actually, he tried to uh, take it in his own hands and he created Ishmael. And he waited all these years for this son that God had promised him. And now here comes God and he says, take your son, that only son that you have, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering up on one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Again, I want to stop there just a minute and ask men, especially, and boys, you think about, you think about your only son. You think about your son that you waited for a hundred years for. And you even took it in your own hands. And finally God delivers and he brings his son. But then he comes and he says, take him over there to Moriah him on an offering and burn him up to me what do we do what's, your, what's, what's my reaction to that what's your reaction to that and I think again the picture that I get here and the idea that I get the idea that I want to bring to us today to, to challenge you with and for my own life as well do I, like, do, I do like Abraham there's no, there's no recording here of him being hesitant of that it says actually in verse three it says Abraham rose up in the morning early in the morning I think and it says yeah early in the morning he he rose up there was no hesitation Abraham said yes Lord even though I'm sure in his mind he's like I don't know what this means I don't know what in the world is going on here this is my this is the son that you promised me for over a hundred years you finally bring him to me now you want me to take him over there to this hill and build an offering tie him on there kill him and offer him up to you that just doesn't you know why would the Lord have why would Abraham not said Lord are you sure about this? He, it doesn't record any of that. I don't know if he did or if he didn't. He might have. I'm not sure. But Abraham said yes. I'll do that. How would you react? How would I react? Keep reading verse 3. Abraham rose up early in the morning. He scattered his aces, and he took two of his men with him and Isaac his son, and he clave the wood, clave the wood for the burnt offering. He rose up, he went into a place which God had told him, and then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. So it was like a three-day journey over there from where they were at. <clears throat> he lifted up his eyes, saw the place far off, and Abraham said unto this young, unto his young men, "You abide here with the ace, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship, and we will come again to you." And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering. He laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both went, and both of them together. They both, they went both of them together. Sorry, my speaking's not well. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and he said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? All of a sudden, something clicked in Isaac's mind. He's like, dad. We've got all these things and we're going to worship the Lord, but where is, what are we putting on? What's going to be offered up? Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And often wondered about that did Abraham know already in his mind what was going to happen? I don't think he did or he would have, I, I, I don't know. I have, I, I have an inkling that he knew a little bit something was going on, but still, how do you explain to your son what's going on here? And what's going on in the father's mind? See, I think the thing that we forget, that I forget at least, I think there was a connection between Abraham and his God so great. That even this only son that he waited for for a hundred years was second in line. It was God and then it was everything else. And I think that's a challenge for myself today. Is that what I have in my life? I mean, I love my family dearly and I love, every, there's, there's a lot of things that I truly love. <laughs> like. But are those things second in line? I think that's the only way that Abraham could face this in the way he did. And I think the same thing with Mary. That was the only way that she could face that the way she did. That's, that, that God was supreme. That was what he said was what I do, and what he asked is what I do. And they come in alignment with that. They agree with that. The story goes on, and we know we know the ending here, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Start in verse... nine and they came to the place where God had told him of and Abraham built an altar there <clears throat> and laid the wood on the altar and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the laid him on the altar up on the wood and again there in that setting you know a while ago he told Isaac that God's going to provide the lamb but now all of a sudden he's tying him to the altar how's he explaining this to Isaac? What's going to happen here? I'm just going to tie you up until God brings a lamb. I doubt it. That's what he said. I don't know what he said, but it doesn't say. But it says he tied him to the altar, got, got him ready. And Abraham actually stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called him out of heaven. He said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here am I. He said, Lay not thine hand upon thy lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram, answered him up, and offered him up a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place. Jevriah, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. As it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord caught upon Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, and saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and the sand which is upon the seashore." And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. I guess I, I'd like to have Cohen or else who wants to come up here? Which one of you boys wants to help me a little bit? You don't want to? Okay. Cohen, you really? Come on up. We're we'll gonna do just a little bit of an illustration. I think about. Coming in alignment with God, uh, as I think about coming in alignment with God, you know, we've, we've often seen these, and this is probably more of a men's illustration than a women's, I don't know if they know what cogs are or not. Do you women know what cogs are or gears? Uh, men know what gears are. This here was my brother-in-law. He likes to, you can hold that, can you hold that right there? Okay. He likes to experiment with things. Stand right over here, not last. He likes to experiment with things. He's making some motor run off there with a uh, magnetic wave or something like that. But anyway, he, I called him yesterday. I'm like, you got anything like that. that was fresh. He said, yeah, that's what you need. But as I was thinking about this, this thing, when we come in alignment with God, you know, see, see how that, that just fits right in there. That goes around, it's turning perfectly. And I think when when Abraham and, and Mary, when they, were, when they were living, this thing was running just like this right here. And it was like, they were locked in. And you just kept riding right turning and turning. I know this is the gears, and that was that's the people. But I want you to envision a little bit, how is your life with God? How do you, is, is this you here? Are you, are you like, like when God speaks, this all lines up. And another, another thought that I had was like a bicycle chain. We're all familiar with this. Little kids ride their bike and all of a sudden the chain runs off. Well, whose fault is it? Is it the, is it the chain's fault or is it the cog? The cog is never wrong. The cog is never wrong. It has a place for the chain to be put into. The chain is the one that misses the links. If you're if it tries to ride on the hill, it's not going to happen. There, there's a problem. It won't work. The chain will come off and your bike is and that bad you need to put the chain back on. Something is out of alignment or something is not agreeing. The chain is not falling into spot. Therefore there's problems and it's not going to work. The same thing with our life. Okay, this is us. We're going round and round and round. And all of a sudden we decide, yeah, we're doing just what God wants to do. That ain't gone. There's there we throw a ranch in. There's a disagreement about with God. We, we're, we're not quite willing to do what God wants us to do. Or it can be sin. It can be anything, but there's there's a stopping. There's a there's a it's clogged up, it can't work. So until we remove that, until we come back in alignment with God, then this thing can freely spin again. And then God is okay but then then the wrench comes back in you can put this as sin or you can put it as whatever your disagreement with coming in agreement with God but when we come in agreement see how those fingers just it it fits in perfectly it's it's just like gears it perfectly runs but whenever there's something comes in there or else what I really wondered was when this comes apart then one turns and the other doesn't God is still there but we're not locked in we're not in agreement with him. We're not in alignment with him. And then whenever we move and we come in alignment with him, you know, just like that bike chain, once whatever calls up to run off, whenever you get that thing back in alignment, then you can go again and that, that chain ball is right in spot every time. And there's that there's this clicking thing. You can go back. Thank you. you there's this clicking thing, and, and it, it continues to run the way that God had illustrated it to run. we get that after a while. <clears throat> So yeah, as I'm thinking about our life, are you in alignment with God? Or have you come in agreement with what he's asked you to do? Do you, when he speaks and when he asks, is it yes, Lord? Or is it, uh, I want to know a little more about this. I want to ask some more questions. I want to, whatever it may be. I don't know. There's probably a time for questions. I'm not saying there's not. But I think here in this account, you never read, you never read what Abraham or Mary question God wants. Now I know the thing with Gideon—he put out the fleece or whatever. Uh, was it, Gideon? Yeah, it was Gideon? Right, put out the fleece. Everybody's supposed to know that. I don't know for sure. I think it's Gideon. Yeah, but he put out that fleece. He was asking God. So I'm not saying that. But it seems to me like whenever we come in agreement with Him and we come in alignment with Him, I also know in the New Testament it says test the spirits. I, I think that's that's definitely. That's definitely needful, but let's not overstep what God has asked us to do. Sometimes we use that for an excuse to to get away from things or to to evade the situation. If God is supreme and you know him as you should, and you know him as your father, I don't think there's going to be much hesitation. There's not going to be much, uh, is this God or is this not God? You'll know if he's speaking. It's our choice to come in alignment with him. Go to Jonah. I want to look at this account. This is a man that did not come in alignment with God. And he chose not to do that at all. And another very familiar story. Forgot to mark it in my book. Jonah. I want you can. We're not going to read the whole account. You can start the verse there, chapter one. Uh, I might read just the first, first few, first few verses here. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of, Amittai as saying, "Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it." For their wickedness has come before me. Now look at the response in verse 3 of Jonah 1 compared to the response in Genesis 22 that Abraham had in verse 2. Completely different. God says, go to the of this great city and cry against wickedness. What's verse 3 say? But Jonah, he rose up and he fled into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and he went on down and got on a ship. And the whole story goes on. And we know the story. He went out to sea, and finally the ship started rocking, and they, they, they said, well, who's, what's going on here? And they threw him overboard. They threw Jonah overboard, and after they threw him overboard, the fish swallowed him, and he was living in the, uh, the belly of the, the well there. And verse, can we go over to chapter 3. Finally, the, the God said, okay, you've been there long enough, I'm going to spit you out. And by that time, Jonah's changing his mind a little bit about Coming in agreement with God, I think, and you know sometimes that's why it is in our life. Sometimes it takes a it takes a it takes a realignment. See, in that whole gear thing, I think Jonah was like this. He was trying to there was there was nothing. It's not going to work. Anybody that's familiar with gears, if they're out, they'll sit there and spin all day, and sparks fly, and all sorts of stuff tears up and bounces around. And it's not a pretty picture. But when that thing is locked in, it's perfect. It works, and it's it's just like it's supposed to be. This is where Jonah said, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. Sparks was flying, and God says, okay, then go in the fish's belly for three days and see how you like that, and then come out and we'll talk again. So here in chapter 3, he, he again talks to him, and the word of the Lord came into Jonah. This is after he spit him out on the on the beach. He said, arise, go into Nineveh, the great city, and preach unto the and, Preach unto it the preaching that I bid you. Look at verse 3 in this one compared to verse 3 in number 1. It says, So Jonah arose and he went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He didn't hesitate. He went. (laughs) I wonder why. If you're in the fish's belly for three days, I probably would go too. But sometimes God has to do that to to get us back in alignment, to make us agree with him. The the, the point that I want you to understand this morning, I want to go over to to, uh, 1 Samuel 15 as well. There's another account there. Need to be wrapping this up. First Samuel 15, there's another account there, kind of the same, the same thing. We should have finished with Jonah there a bit first. But as Jonah was as he said, and finally in verse 3, he came back in alignment with God. But if you keep reading that story in the end, Jonah's still not completely locked in. Because he's, he's, he gets furious. After he goes in there and he starts preaching the word, these people start coming to God, and then God showed mercy to them and showed love to them. Jonah gets all upset. He said, Lord, why are you showing mercy to these evil people? Like, he, he just didn't understand. What were what, what you doing? It said he got angry with him. So God again took him out, showed him another lesson, put him under this shade, had this gourd grow up and gave him shade a couple days, and then he had a worm come and ate the gourd. Gourd melted down and the sun came back and shone on Jonah's face, and he's like, yeah, maybe you're right. Lord. There's something about this. But I think the, the thing was, he was not fully locked in. He did still not fully understand what, what God wanted, but the key is, in verse 3, he said, yes, Lord, I'll go. I'm going to go. There's no hesitation. I'm not backing down from this. If you ask me to go, I'm going, just like Abraham, just like Mary. He said, I'll go. Let's go over to 1 Samuel 15. I'm not going to read this whole account either because we could read the whole chapter. and I'm, uh, I'd am i like to, but I, I'm, not, I'm not going to. I'll just make use kind of my own paraphrasing words. And we know, again, I preached on this once or twice before. Uh Yeah, I, I, I don't think I should read the whole thing. Samuel, Samuel was, let's start in verse one and I'll skip down just a little bit as we're, as we're going. Samuel also said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. So Samuel told Saul, I'm going to anoint you king. You need to now listen to God. When God speaks, listen. Don't, don't be hesitant, listen to him. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, and how he laid wait for him in the way when he came out from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man, women, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ace. And Saul gathered these people around, he went down there to to where the Amaleks was, and all of a sudden he thought about, he, he killed some of these things that, uh, We'll just keep reading. And Saul said unto the Canaanites, Go depart and get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you from them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And so the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Hivel unto Thou comest to serve, and that which is over Egypt. And he took Agog, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And remember what God had commanded him to do? He told him to kill everything. Don't take nothing from this place. Everything destroyed. I don't want anything to come out of here. Well, what's he do? What's Saul do here already first thing? He, he saves the king. He takes, he takes Agog, the king of Amalek, alive, and he utterly destroys all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agog, and this is some more stuff, the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. He would, he would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile he refused. And he had destroyed utterly. Well, then God came calling. Came the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying that Saul didn't do what I told him to do. I told him to kill everyone. He saved some of these. So Samuel went down to Saul and he said, what have you done, Saul? Saul says, lies right in his face. Says, I've done exactly what the Lord told me to do. And Saul says, Samuel says, what's those sheep that I hear bleeding in the background? And then he blames it on the people. Then he goes on and he talks a little bit further and he, he blames it on a couple other people. And then finally, Saul comes to the milk and it's, it's cornered up and it's his problem and he finally acknowledges that I have sinned in verse 24. Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. Thy words, because I feared the people and I, bo- I obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again to me that I may worship the Lord. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with thee. For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the king rejected thee from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned away to go away, and he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and he rent. So so Samuel said, You can't be king no more because you didn't you didn't come in agreement with what God said, and you didn't agree and do what he said. Because you can't be king no more. That that's got that's got to stop. Even though even though Saul repented. And I guess in that in that setting, I'd like to bring in Galatians 6, verse 7 through 9. You know, sometimes we, this, the the sowing and reaping thing, and we heard that just might have been Gary preacher, but somebody preached this not long ago. But there's something about that, like even though that Saul said, "I'm sorry," there's consequences that go with that. When we don't come in agreement with God, even though we come back in alignment, there's there's still there's still there's there can be repentance of sin, and we can get back in gear, we can be locked back in, but there's going to be consequences for for some of these things that we did. Uh, first, in, in Galatians 6 verse 7 through 9 it says be not deceived God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap for he that soweth to his flesh shall also reap corruption but he that soweth to the spirit shall reap spirit everlasting and let us not be weary in well doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not God is never wrong God is always right what if everybody else says this but God says that who's right my answer what if, what if I say this, and 10 other people say this, and it seems like it's right, but God says no, who's right? Yeah. See God's never wrong. He is always right. God is never wrong. And I think that's sometimes a thing that we, we forget, and that's something that in my mind, it's like God is never wrong. He is always right. He never was wrong. He never will be wrong. He will always be right and just. See, that's the thing with Samuel. He could have said, okay, Samuel, you repented and I'm going to let you off. And I think God probably forgave him. I don't know what he did. But there were still consequences for the sin. And it's the same thing with you and I's life. When we do something, when we don't come in agreement with, we don't come in alignment with, and there's these sparks and we're trying to get it taken care of. All of a sudden we say, yes, Lord, we're sorry, like Jonah did. And there, there, there comes back in this alignment. But yet there's consequences for what we did. And that's where this sowing and reaping things come in. I think God is not, to be not deceived, God is not mocked. He will never, you will never make him unjust. You know, sometimes we think, well, we'll find favor with him. Lord, you know, I, I didn't understand what you was talking about. Well, you just, just let me off? I think God can go to a certain level, but he is a just God. He cannot lie. He is always right. He will do exactly what he says. There, there's no. There, there, sometimes I think we, we try to bargain with him. So there's, there's the sin has been forgiven, but there's consequences that go along with it that we have to deal with in life. So Samuel here, as he as yes, yeah, he finally they, they take that away from him. you. Know, I want to go down and read verses um, 22 and 23. Actually, I skipped over that, didn't I? Samuel said, hath said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken the fat of the rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king." And I, you, you, hear this, you hear this verse preached a lot, and I think it's you hear people say it, that God deserves, he, he wants obedience rather than sacrifice. See, I think that was the case here. I don't know what Samuel had in mind. I don't know if he was looking for personal gain. I don't know if he was looking to think, you know what, if I had all these good lambs and good cows, I'd have a lot of sacrifice for, for a long time. You know, it will still end up being personal gain if you think about it in, in a real sense. But Samuel says God... Desires obedience over sacrifice. When we, when he says this, he wants us to become in line that that, that is really all that matters to him. He wants us to be obedient. That is, that's better. We can sacrifice our life. We can give our life on the cross. We can give, you know, there's another verse that, that talks about that uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 13 about having love. You know, we can do all these things. But obedience is what he desires. He wants us to say yes to him. When he asks us to do something, yes, Lord, and come into agreement and alignment with that. Because he knows what's best for us. He knows what we need. He knows that where we need to go. He knows where we're going. Sometimes we think we know and he doesn't know and we're, we're not sure that he knows for sure or not because of what all, he's, what all is bringing our way. But I think we need to realize who is in control and that that he is right, he is never wrong, and he is just and he cares for us. He loves us. Those three things. I want to read one more comment here. and in, 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 um, I'd like to go to, to, to Isaiah a little bit more talking about this whole thing of sacrifice and obedience. Uh, Isaiah 1, you can read it sometime after now, but Isaiah 1, verses 10 to 19, it gives a little bit more explanation. That's what was going on there was these people were, they were sacrificing, they were doing a lot of things, but they weren't obeying God. They weren't obeying God, so so, where am I at in my life? Am I am I obeying God or am I not? When God speaks, when God asks something, His word. Am I true to that? Am I doing what it says? Am I doing what it not says? Where am I at? I going to close with Jeremiah twenty nine verses eleven to t- eleven and twelve. He says, "For I know the thoughts that I have t- that I think toward you," saith the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you there's another verse in, in Proverbs, verses, uh, Proverbs 3 where he talks about not leaning on our own understanding, that's not the exact words but basically what he's saying don't lean on your own understanding but lean on God he's right, he will always see you through, he's correct be obedient to him, get that gear locked in Get in alignment with him. If that means you need to move, see God's like that, he's like that bicycle cog. The cog never is wrong because it's there. It never has to move. And it's always right. It has the same thing. That's how God is. We're we're like the chain. We get off. Something gets off and then we run off. We can't, we're not staying on on course. We need to get back in alignment and come in agreement with God. I say we, it's my own life too. And more so than anyone else's this morning. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. God, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. I thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy, your kindness, your goodness. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are right, Lord, this morning. Thank you that you are God. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would impress upon our minds. And the importance of obedience to you, and most of all, that to help us to realize that you are correct. There's no uh, question about that. That You're right. You're God. You are King of kings, Lord of lords, and God of God. We acknowledge that this morning, uh, that you are him. And Lord, this morning, as I think of the people here in this room, I just pray for each heart. Lord, whatever the struggle might be, maybe there's there's things that they are out of alignment or, maybe there's something that they're struggling with. I pray that you would show that to each one of us. And as we hear your voice and as you show us that we will come back in alignment with you, that we will agree with what you have for our life. And Father, this morning we thank you especially as we think of your son that you sent. To die on the cross that we could have the gift and have, it more, have the gift of eternal life and have it more benefit. Well, we just bless you this morning. We praise you. We glorify you as God. And we ask that you would just be with us as we go from here, that you would just bless us and with your blessings. We thank you, we praise you, and we bless you. It's with thanksgiving that we pray in Jesus' name.